0: Hello there, listener. Thank you for listening to the Crash Moto GP podcast, where each week we will bring you the latest news from the world of Moto GP. Now, don't forget to subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts from so you never miss an episode. The podcast is also available in video format on our YouTube channel. Head over to Crash Moto GP so you can watch us there. Make sure to like the video, and also while you're down there, Make sure to click the subscribe button. For all the latest news, head to Christ.net and also follow us on social media on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We hope you enjoy the show.
1: Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact...
2: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome along to the Crash MotoGP podcast. On the show today is Dorna finally going to get the American showbiz treatment, Top Rack is still angling for a MotoGP seat for next year, and a rider injury update, and I look forward to all things Kota and MotoGP, uh, as MotoGP I should say, heads to America for round uh, three aren't we of the championship remember if you want to send us a question you can voice note us or just send it uh, in the written form uh email is podcast at crash.net along with your name and where you're from if you're voice noting it please keep it to 30 seconds and we shall get you on the show somebody did send us a uh, a video message which i i love the uh the creative thinking i can't actually use that though um the technology prevents me uh so voice note let's stick with that uh Thanks, though. We really like the message. Remember, um, voice note 30 seconds. The recording date is 11th of April. It's a Tuesday. My name is Harry Benjamin. Joining me as ever is Crash Motor GP editor Pete McLaren and former Grand Prix rider and British champion Keith Hewin. Big news, I suppose, a few days ago, just before we're well, in the UK, at least we've had a bit of a long bank holiday weekend, haven't we? But um, Moto GP, Keith, it was rumoured and now confirmed, have hired an American, a new chief commercial officer, Dan. Rosamondo I think is how you say it from uh, the NBA the basketball league in America he's going to head up media rights and global commercial partnerships and digital business teams but I'm thinking is this Dorner reaching out they want the American showbiz treatment a bit like F1 did with Liberty Media coming in
1: or is it just a case of trying to get someone else on the board without the Espaleta name uh, or that some might say <laughs> uh, but I've got to say that uh, Dorna do make some fairly good decisions when it comes to their management despite the fact that they get duffed up when it comes to uh, the fact that they seem to employ quite a lot of their own family or relatives um, I think it's a good thing I mean I think uh, we've talked about this before on the podcast quite a lot haven't we the, the, the fact is that we seem to have lost our way compared with Formula 1 when it, and I can't believe I'm saying that when it comes to digital marketing digital media and the younger uh, franchise I think that we definitely need to keep that going. Now, in Europe, we've got it fairly well covered. If you go to European races, there's these youngsters coming through the fence, you know, <laughs> quite literally sometimes, uh, coming through the turnstiles to come and watch MotoGP and, and are engaged with it. But I think in places like the UK, it's a very old demographic. It's, it's not a modern-day demographic. I mean, we knew that for the weekend, Harry. We both went to the BSB round at Silverstone. And you only should look around you, and, 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 and they're older than you, maybe a bit younger than me, but not by much in, in many cases. You know, it's a it's a there's work to be done and this guy hopefully will have that American kind of a view on things. Now worst case scenario for me, I mean I know that we need these kind of influencers and people that, that you know have got millions of followings on tick, face, Snap, <laughs> whatever it might be. <laughs> I am joking. <laughs> but the point being all you of these so social well. media platforms all of these social media platforms need attending to because that is where youngsters. I mean, I've had, you know I've got you know girls still at home here and they're on them all the time. It's, it's the communication medium that all of the you know the, the sub thirty year olds are using, and those are the guys that we need to come through. Otherwise, it's not sustainable. You know, we will have no British Grand Prix crowd if we don't start getting the youngsters through the door for a very good reason. It's a conversation I hope to have later on today with with with. You know um, Stuart Pringle actually at, at, at Silverstone. You know I've got a, a call booked with him later today, just to discuss what where that's all going because I didn't know the the quality of the bands that they had on at Silverstone last year um, at the end of the MotoGP day, and I live nearby and I and I think that we've got a fairly large you know conurbation of people in Milton Keynes and in Northampton, two of the biggest towns near uh, the circuit, and if that was if if. If my lack of knowledge regarding who the bands were. You just wonder whether the, the, these big conurbations had no clue as well. Well, if that's the case, we, we've missed a trick. Um, we need to make sure that these youngsters are engaged. And even if they're coming just to watch the the bands afterwards, that's a good thing. You know, if, they, if they're coming to the Grand Prix predominantly to watch the bands, but then suddenly they go, bloody hell, GP's really good. Um, and I think the difference between MotoGP and Formula One is and you can shoot me down with this, and anybody that's a big Formula One fan and goes to Formula One regularly can shoot me down on the crash site. It appears to me that you go outside of the fan base of the actual sport itself. There is a large group of people that go there to be seen at Formula One. I don't think we have that in MotoGP. I don't think it's the the hot place to be seen for selfies and so on and so forth. Whereas in Formula One, there's a fairly large proportion of, of the fans that go are there to, for the event to be seen at a, a big, massive, named event and maybe bump into some of these influencing-type people. I mean, we talked about before we came on here. I couldn't remember her name, the, the, the three-horse woman that Brundle bumped into on the grid one day and hadn't got a clue who the hell she was, and neither would I have. But, of course, there were millions of youngsters that knew exactly who this woman was. Um, being a youngster, you can you know, enlighten us in a moment. But the point being is that we need to get a sustainable situation going in MotoGP, in markets like the UK... Where we don't have that progression coming through, you know, as much as we want the older fans because they've got big money to spend, which is a good thing. You wonder when that runs out. When when do they get too old? When do they stop going to Mother GP? Um, and where are the? Where's the backup? Maybe this American guy coming through will have some kind of a view on that. Hopefully, and it will start bringing up the tail end, if you like, in some of the marketplaces
2: where we've lost the youth. Megan the Stallion oh, is the rapper. Is that her name? Coming to a MotoGP race Lawson. soon. <laughs> <laughs> Close enough. Stallion, you're there. Kind of there. It is an interesting one though, Pete, isn't it? Because, I mean, Keith is kind of bang on. It, it, there is a lot more to be seen on a Formula One grid. But I suppose those people, more often than not, are very famous people or they're, they're being brought in because of because of their fame, their actors, their rappers, their whatever. But then you also have this new generation um, you know, of influencers as well that are trying to appeal to the audience that well that formula one that motorsport i suppose wants to reach thanks to this we talk about it all the time the netflix effect but i think that's actually having a wider effect across motorsport as well now people think and look at formula one and see other motorsports and go it's actually kind of cool i want to be involved in this maybe that would only be a good thing for MotoGP because uh, from the way I see it, MotoGP is so underutilized at the moment um, in terms of what it can be for entertainment. You know, Keith talking there about the Silverstone music event afterwards, you know, that there could be a whole generation of people who go primarily for the music and see the MotoGP as a sideshow, but that's a way of getting into it. So maybe this, this hiring, I mean, there's going to be, I think an official press conference on Friday sort of introducing him properly, but I mean, it's probably going to take a while for him to actually do anything. I imagine.
0: It's, a, it's certainly a key hiring is it a key position i, I guess you would put it about three in three on from the top of the donor tree i suppose you'd have carmelo at the top and then carlos his son and then and then uh chief operating officer or chief commercial officer i think is the official title isn't it so mm. this, is, this is this is a big key position and, and as you say bringing in somebody from outside and this you know coming from another sport a fresh set of eyes it's going to be interesting to see what how they see motor you know coming from basketball which is you know, so the things Keith was saying—it's all about, well, not all about, it, but a lot of it is about the show and building up heroes, almost, isn't it? And uh, you think of the big basketball stars that, even though it's not a massive sport in the UK, we all know their names, don't we—the the Michael Jones or the whoever else is—because they they they're, they were able to build them up and make them bigger than their own niche sport in a way. And 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 I think in that way, it's quite a nice fit. And it'll be interesting to see if he can do. You were you were speaking about what the the goals are. I think is to build the profile. The audience and the revenue of MotoGP—that's the three targets that, that, that's that been set here. So, you know, and Keith was talking about some of the ways you might do that. Things like the profile and things like that. You're looking at social media, but then you've got the audience side, the audience. But then, as Keith also mentions, it's, it's the audience you can break down into so many different parts, can you? The age groups of the audience and all those kind of things. Where MotoGP traditionally was was quite a young, you know, 20 years ago it was quite a young audience compared to Formula One. Now that's, they've all sort of grown up together and, and gone through HGP together. And we haven't got the, the influx coming in at the at the younger end, it seems. And so maybe this is where, you know, a fresh set of eyes can, can really change things and move things right. And interesting, just lastly, that it's a COTA, isn't it? Which is really where we see this big contrast with Formula One in terms of that massive F1 crowd. Was it 400,000 weekend crowd, I think, at COTA? You know, this is where people really realised the effect of, of the Netflix series and everything else, just how big, after all those years of F1, really struggling to make an impact, didn't they, in America? Suddenly, it's huge. I mean, those pictures of those grandstands, it was like looking at the old pictures of the Indy 500, wasn't it? When you see the grandstands, for I mean, if MotoGP can get near that, that will be fantastic. But, you know, MotoGP is popular just in other parts of the world. So, you know, it's, it's trying to make it a real global series, I suppose.
1: America's a funny old market, though, isn't it? I mean, you, you tend to find that uh, Americans feed off success. They feed off of, of that. Um, what am I looking for? The, the winners. It's all about winning in America, isn't it? And I mean, once they get behind a sport like that, they're, they're behind it 100%. I mean, at the moment, MotoGP just isn't really cutting the mustard. I mean, uh, you know, Kota is quite lucky that... that well, I say lucky, that's not true. You make your own luck in these promotion-type situations. But Kota was looking like it was going to fail as a circuit, looking like it was going to go into what we would call receivership at one point. It didn't have enough money to even spend on the amount of staff it needed at one motor GP um, round, I seem to remember, going back into the past. So Formula 1 being successful has really rescued it. A bit like Silverstone to a great extent. Now, Silverstone needed F1 to be as successful as it is, to just keep going. At one point, it looked like it might not. Um, and I think I did an interview with Stuart Pringle, the managing director at Silson as is at the moment, um, uh last year, that that he alluded to the fact that, you know, it could have gone under had it, you know, the the pandemic and all the other factors that were, were forcing against it, although I think they made more money out of the pandemic, to be honest, because it had guaranteed money that came in from different promoters to actually run the sport, even though you didn't have a crowd there. So it's been difficult times for these tracks. Um and Formula One, to be honest, as much as I again Reluctant to say, it has probably been the saviour of of these two tracks in particular, Silverstone and Cota. But it's got to move on. I think the the key with Dorna has been uh, Manel Arroyo, who was you know very very big mover within the. I think he might have been the third man down, Peter, that you mentioned earlier. Um, And and this guy, although doesn't directly replace what Manel Arroyo used to do, um, he's got a broader brief. And it all depends on how much autonomy he's given within the the tight knit Espiletta Dawner setup. I can see some massive changes coming in within MotoGP GP over the next few years. International Race Teams Association, as much as we love, respect, and almost revere Mike Trimby and his setup at URTA, the International Race Teams Association, that is going to change in the next few years. I think Mike won't mind me saying that, but at some stage it's got to, just through age and so on. Um, the FIM, Vier has, and 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 some of the FIM people are beginning to try and muscle their way back into being a bigger force within our sport. You know, Vier has just, I mean, uh, he's the FIM president. And he, at the moment, he's best known for always ended up in a camera shot somewhere, but he's moving behind the scenes to position the FIM in a better place overall with the sport. Dorner, you know, when does Carmelo Espeleta let go of the reins and Carlos and, and you know some of these new guys that they're obviously positioning themselves with, when do they take up there's a sea change coming within our sport, I can see it within the next 2-3 years um, and that will make a big difference, I think that Formula 1, Formula 1 was boring, the racing, the racing drivers weren't allowed to use their own social media weren't allowed to put anything out from the side of the track, weren't allowed to do this Well, to be honest, MotoGP have been a bit like that. I mean, the fact they've only just registered registered the the digital marketing, digital platforms like Crash should be allowed in, you know, free of charge. You guys don't have to pay anymore to come in to to, to do your job, which it might seem strange to people listening to this, that digital platforms like Crash had to pay to get passes, to get a position in the media room, which to us... Seems ridiculous in this modern age. This is the way things are going. And and slowly but surely, I think that the Dawner have gone, hang on a second, we've missed a bit of a trick here. Look at F one, look what they've done. And in within two or three years, F one have turned it right round. Um, younger audience. it's exploded in just about every marketplace. And I think it's caught Mother GP by, by a bit by surprise. MotoGP, in my view, is better racing and I won't say a better sport because I think that, the, you know, the technical innovation that you get in Formula 1 is exceptional. So, therefore, you know, that kind of prototype racing, I always have massive respect for. And the people working within it, I wouldn't want to disrespect any of them. But I think on the actual, from a racing spectacle, MotoGP is ahead of Formula 1. So, I think, oh. the, you know, there's a lot of headroom. There's a lot of headroom for, for Dorna and MotoGP to do better than they are. And this guy might be the start of that.
2: I would agree for that. I always gauge it off of um, you know, can you predict the race and the racing or not? And an F one you absolutely can predict who's probably I'll going have to be. Exactly. Motor GP. You know, there's all this talk about oh it's Ducati, it's the Ducati run C- series, you know, but at the moment, you know, whether that may be, they may all be Ducati bikes, but you have no idea which rider is actually going to be on the podium. Well, so far we haven't. So I, I agree with you, actually. I think the racing, more often than not, is the greatest spectacle. But, I mean, MotoGP, I believe, has, has come a, a long way as well. It has followed F1, but not as, as to its extreme extent. You know, F1 came from a period where, you know, under Bernie Eccleston, where I think even drivers couldn't um, film anything in, from, from the pit lane and post it on Twitter. I think I think Lewis Hamilton did back in the day and got told off, said, no, you can't post that. Bernie said, no, don't do it. And you think, well, and uh, now you go, are you mad? That's great insight you know now left right and center there are people going live on instagram and all this kind of thing so we have this it's have gone same to such
1: blocking you know blocking mm. just drives me crazy you know like so, well, that's so right, something that's it? come out in the uk can't be seen in america and vice versa and stuff like that i mean it's a rights thing and it's a contractual thing so there's a lot more going on behind the scenes that that means that you can't do that in some circumstances but they need to tidy all of that up you know you, you if, if if it's a promotion for the sport if it's, if it's, if it's something that's Pushing the sport forward, then that needs needs to change. I think it will. I think that, that you know this is the big area that Dorna are now have to attack to get us back on track. The rules and the way that they've got the the, the three classes: Moto three, Moto two, and Moto GP. And we've seen a shift there as well, haven't we? We've seen a shift, really. I think that's it's almost gone unheralded, in as much as that Moto three and Moto two have been pulled back a little bit in the in their. Kind of promotion, if you like, in as much as that you don't see so much of them, you don't hear so much of them. They're not, they're not, even on, in warm up on a Sunday morning, you know, on a race day morning, you're not seeing them out on track. I, I wonder whether that's deliberate in some way to to get a bigger gap to have MotoGP as definitely the pinnacle and therefore pulling back Moto3 and Moto2, which have been heralded as sometimes the better races, particularly Moto3, than MotoGP. You know that's not what you want to really hear. Um you know it's a bit like saying that British touring cars is a better race than, than a Formula 1 race. You don't want to hear that too often. You need to, Well well F3 know, get,
2: is arguably more entertaining than Formula 1 can be on on a regular basis. <laughs> well there so, you go. Yeah. And
1: none of us see that because Formula 3 who watches Formula 3 at the end of the day. So I think that the, the <laughs> you know the powers that be have sort of pulled that wow. back and I wonder whether we we we're, we're seeing a little bit of that at the moment in 2023 whether that will whether that will continue. That is kind of the mystery to me, if you like, in
0: a way. And I appreciate I don't understand it because I'm too close to it, if you like. But it's, you know, MotoGP is such an amazing show relative to Formula One when the racing starts that you just Mm. think, how is this other sport so much bigger? But of course, cars will always be, you know, they're much more, people are much more familiar with them on a worldwide scale, aren't they? But, uh, you know, and then you also have all the factors that Keith mentioned of, of building the event around more than just the racing. And maybe that's been perhaps the, you know the mistake, if that's a word in the past, is that MotoGP has relied so much on the track action and and not on the parts that you build around that
2: it is is one of the problems. And and I bring this up because I, I I don't know who asked it, but there were a few comments and questions. Is that you know there's always this talk of MotoGP is a global sport, but it needs to be more and more global. But the fact is, you know, a lot of the riders tend to be you know Spanish, Italian you know a couple of french there there isn't really a huge global rider um market on the grid is that an issue i, I don't know i think spanish speakers are quite um quite prolific around the world <laughs> but anyone outside <laughs> I, I mean, there's I could... no brazilians there's no argentinians no. there's no you know uh, uh, americans british well I think the
1: Dawner have been quite proactive in trying to promote different markets. I mean certainly they've had their hand in the British market for a long time. They've been, you know they've been pushing and shoving and, and funding various British riders over the years. And I can only guess that they're probably doing the same elsewhere as well. You've only got to look at the Southeast Asian situation, you know, you wouldn't have found a tie in the in the in the lineup, you know, a few years ago. You know, Asia Pacific region is big, the Japanese riders obviously. You know, we don't have a Chinese rider in there at the moment, but I'm sure we will have in in come, the coming future. I think there are seeds in different marketplaces to try and make that work um and it is a thing um and half the problem i suppose we have to to some extent i mean i was again watching bsb and 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 seeing i don't know how many bikes there were in that f900 bmw class thing it's a new class of bsb at the weekend that we watched harry and there was something like you know i don't know how many work bikes there must have been 36 bikes on the grid at one point and it was magnificent you know, it's like it reminded me of the old days when the grid was full. You know, are 22 bikes enough on the grid? Is a question I asked. I think in the last podcast. I don't believe so. I think that we need more motorcycles on the grid, which will give us more opportunity to bring in other people. I mean, yeah, you know, it just happens that the Spanish have been behind their racing for a long time. They've got world class race tracks there that are you know licensed to run Grand Prix. We've only got. Well, one and a half at the moment. We've got Silverstone and 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 Donington. Maybe if they do a bit of tidying up up there, um, and that's it. You know, we've got great racetracks in this country, but they're not homologated to to run Grand Prix because they're not they're not yet up to. Well, they won't ever be up to the safety standard of a Grand Prix because, you know, you know geographically they're they're too close to a hedge or a boundary somewhere. Um, so we, we're in a situation where we don't have quite the tracks. The Italians got some great tracks over there, obviously, and they run a load of. You know, pocket rocket racing for for youngsters. There's a there's a, a real infrastructure coming through the academy, the VR Forty Six Academy. Um, closest thing I suppose the Americans have got to that is Colin Edwards boot camp. I mean, it's uh, it, you know it used to be that the Kenny Roberts boot camp. To be honest, he, he used to run something just outside Catalonia racetrack. He had a big plot of land there that they would run all sorts of things going on there. So there have been seeds of this before. Funding at the end of the day comes down to you know it's bringing these people on through funding again in the same interview that I did with Stuart Pringle last year, um, it was one of those situations where I asked him about his new car track that he's got at the, 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 Silverstone are building and how much they were leaning towards, you know, mini motos for, for motorcycles. It's all very well catering for the car people, but what about youngsters who want to be involved in mini moto? You know? And I said to him at the time, are you doing enough to bring on the youngsters in motorcycle racing? It seems you are a MotoGP track and you do run a MotoGP. Um, and I was surprised at his thoughtful answer, something along the lines of, and I'm not quoting directly, but he sort of looked at me and he went, now you put it like that, we perhaps aren't doing enough. And I was surprised at that thought-provoking, you know, the fact that, that, that it hadn't really occurred. I know that Formula One is at the top of the thought process at, at Silverstone, um, but it needs a few more people, like Dorner, like this new guy, to be into the likes of Stuart Pringle and the people that are organising, you know, the the biggest event in our, our our calendar, if you like, in Britain. Sorry for saying that to World Superbikes and VSB, but the MotoGP should be the pinnacle of, of two-wheeled sport in this country because it is Grand Prix. Um, kind of. I mean, I think Silverstone has got the, the, they get a lot of stick for the cost of tickets and stuff like that. Silverstone is the most expensive motor race track um, in Britain. It costs more money because they have more style, bigger area, massive overheads to, to run that event. Now, the motorcycle racing public um, are perhaps demographically not as perhaps rich as as. As, as the Formula One crowd, perhaps I don't know. You know, Formula One. What do they pay? Four hundred quid a ticket or something for the weekend? Yeah,
2: that's just for a Thursday. <laughs>
1: well, if that's the case, you're never ever going to compete with that in motorcycle racing. It no. just does not have that can, kind. Can of- I?
2: Can I just say, is it not? Because um, I spoke to the the CEO of Cota, Bobby Epstein, a few weeks ago, and and so I put this to you. It is it. It's not the job of the circuits to promote the sport right the, the sport should sell the tickets themselves it's the it's the circuit's job to uh make sure that they can entertain the crowds outside of the racing on the track because the, the circuit has no control in terms of the actual racing they just got to make sure that the they're out the other bits the crowd is in and everybody's having a good time so surely there's only so much that a circuit like cota like silverstone can do it ultimately comes down to the championship
1: very, very good, Ari. I like that. Um, I think what it does is it just kind of balances up the argument. Who is responsible for the promotion of the event in that locality? Now, I would say that's a 50-50 deal personally, mm-hmm. um, but that's just my opinion from a, from a, a you know mediocre business person in this area. Don't forget, I live in, in Northamptonshire. So um, I think the promoters are hand in hand with the circuit to try and move that forward everyone has a vested interest in it I mean it's 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 a it's a situation where dorna obviously have got the sport to where it is from a spectacle point of view but maybe and that's again why we've got this new COO is is they they have a weak spot they have a blind spot that they're now trying to work on you know I've got a massive respect for dorna the way that they've done things I think that the way they brought our sport on from a few years ago when we were on you know bloody one, you know, that we had the two-tier MotoGP class, didn't we, the proper bikes, and then we had the, the the punter's bikes, effectively. I mean, I hated that. But there was no other way around it at that time to get a grid full of people. And Dorna managed that into a position where we are now. You know, close racing is because of the regulations, the way that they've manipulated the regulations to where we are, you know, from a technical point of view. But from a promotion point of view, I think the circuit has a fair size responsibility because they know their their area. You know, the, hang on a second. I I'm I want to do something in my back guard. Am I going to invite people from 200 miles away or am I going to try and get everybody within five miles into my garden? I'm going to get everybody here. And the, the point I made earlier on about I wasn't aware of the, of the the live acts that they were having at the end of each day at Silverstone. Now, I should have been, really. I mean, that's as much down to, to, to my fault. I'm in the industry, so I ought to know what's going on. But I didn't. Um, and, and I asked around after the event, did you know, that LRA was on, you know, did you know that this one was on, that one was on? And everybody said, no, well, that really is down to the locality. Now, you yeah, know, we have local radio stations, we have local events going on. I believe that the tracks like Silverstone should say, okay, if you've got uh, an NHS pass, if you are an NHS worker, um, which they all have their passes, just the same as we do to go to track, that gets you in for free you know, on a Saturday. You know, you need to you need to en masse collect great big chunks of people. You know, police. If you've got a police pass, come on in. You know, it's, it's for free. You can come and you can bring your kids under 12 years old or whatever it might be. You know, Boy Scouts, or whatever they are nowadays, there's probably some reason you can't say boy on the front of it. But anyway, you know, all of those kind of situations, masses of people, Silverstone is a place that has huge areas and it looks terrible when it's empty. You need to fill the place up. Um, if the sun's shining and the terraces are full, then you can give those passes away. Yeah, I can understand where you might want to cream off the top for the for the, the grandstands. Okay, so you're going to have to pay extra to go in the grandstands and stuff like that because they cost a lot of money to put up as temporary structures. Um, but I think that there are opportunities that I don't see people using to to make it work to a wider audience. You know, they did a... Do you remember, Harry, you'll, you'll be across this. I don't know whether you might even be a bit too young for this, but the um, the the Formula Renault series in this country, um, Renault-sponsored Silverstone, open, open doors. Anybody could come. Mm. You could, through your Renault dealership or wherever, you had to get the passes from somewhere. You couldn't just turn up and walk in. There was a big Renault promotion-type thing for Formula Renault. And they were absolutely rammed. The place was full you know, because of this big promotion. Now, that was a, a risk, but of course, someone the size of Renault could afford to, to sort of fund it, I would imagine. But on a lesser scale, you could do the same thing with, with MotoGP, you know, Friday and Saturday, free to pass holders from the police, from the you know NHS, from, you know, whatever else you might think that, that is a worthy group of people. Um, a, it looks good politically, and B, it gets more people in the gate that wouldn't necessarily go until they were encouraged to until they saw what we actually do what what a great event a motor gp event is
2: yeah i i, I did a, a much smaller scale but a ferrari challenge race last year at silverstone they did the exact same thing they gave a load of free passes to to police officers i believe it was and and uh, uh people who were part of a charity as well just because they like they wanted to give back but also it got people through the gates and you know and, and it was a free day and obviously there's a bit of ferrari racing but there was loads of ferraris that people could go and see and have a little close-up look at and lots of other stuff you could do outside so it was just a nice sort of family kind of atmosphere and event and then there was a bit of racing on as well that you could enjoy too so but arguably they're smaller scale
1: well i think the other thing that that, that um Moto gp is missing is that um access i think you and i you know i said earlier on we were we were both at the BSP round a british superbike round of the weekend at silverstone and the it was hugely amusing for me watching you fearing that every gate we walked through, someone was going to grab hold of you and shout at you. But of course at at, at BSB, which is probably from my, my perspective, BSB do the most for the fans, you know, British Superbikes. Yeah. you have access and how relaxed was it because they were allowed to go wherever they wanted. There was no tension. You know, everybody was just chilled and enjoying their day and wandering around in the, in the paddock and so on. Now I, I appreciate that in, in MotoGP, obviously it's a slightly more uh, technical, secretive, you know, cutting edge type environment. So you, you know the the security there is slightly higher than perhaps um, it's going to be a World Superbike and, and British Superbike. But all the same, I still feel that that MotoGP can do more for on site fans who have paid the biggest amount of money to go to any bike meeting. Um, and I think that that's an area that, that, that could be cleared up a fair bit as well. How, how, is well it look, we... that you, how is it you go to Mizano and the paddock is absolutely rammed full of people? <laughs> how do the Italians get so many people behind the scenes when at the British Grand Prix, it's like, bloody, you've got everything except watchtowers? keeping you out you well, know, there's some pretty
2: puddock. big Italian riders and there have been in the past so maybe that's well,
1: why well then true <laughs> but the fact of the matter is is they, how do they get the passes to get in there I mean we, we kind of all wander through Mizano or Mugello or any of those places and you go how the bloody hell did these all get the passes yeah friends you know, and, and family and yeah at the British Grand Prix people, you know, the paddock is is quite sterile in comparison and it's a bigger paddock well,
2: oh, well, oh and that's I, the other I'm going thing. to the minute to
1: that's the other thing we all go to the wing this year I wonder how that's going to work. We We're all behind the the wiggly roofed wing instead no, of the um, no. international straight. No. So, uh, so we've we've got a different starting place, and a, and a, a diff- there's a new hotel the other side of the of the track now, and they've got a you know, walkway over and the like. But from my experience, there's not enough room behind the wing to facilitate motor three, motor two, motor GP, and all the infrastructure that you need, as in support vehicles and the like, behind the wing. I know they're going to use the Stowe circuit as 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 a parking space as well, but that ain't very big either, and it's a bit piecemeal, if you ask me. So, I,
2: I wonder whether I, I think speak?
1: they'll they'll put Moto two and three in the 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 national. Yeah, you uh, see, I that's I, I hate that. You know, I, but I, they, I it's exactly it. what they do for F one. It, well, it's, well. That's my point earlier. Are we having a purpose split between Moto three, Moto two, and Moto GP? Are oh, we getting to that elite type situation that's coming from MotoGP? I think
2: you have to.
1: Do you have Personally, to? Personally,
2: I think you. I think you do. Like as a, as the the bloody Formula Three commentator, obviously I'm all for it. But at the well, at the end problem, of the day, the the, the, the pinnacle problem is, I have is with that top.
1: is there is a distinct difference between MotoGP fans and Formula One fans. I think that yeah, MotoGP motorcycle fans will find that very hard to swallow. Because Moto Three and Moto Two are, are, you know, an integral part of the entire show and give us some great racing. And unlike Formula Three and the like, where you get one or two riders that move on up through the next categories to to their top class, in bike racing, you know, you get great guys come through from Moto Three to Moto GP. You know, Jack Miller is a great example. He left the the Moto Two category to go straight through the Moto GP. So. It's a slight. It's a, I, I hope that they don't miss the the DNA of motorcycle racing. Um, if you like, uh, that that would that would that would. I think that would go against the grain to the greater public, the greater bike racing public. We'll see.
2: Well. It- We could talk about this, I think, for about two plus hours, really. It's such an interesting uh, topic, conversation. What do you think? We'd love to know your thoughts. Do you agree with us? Do you agree with Keith, me, Pete? You know, uh, is the American dream coming for MotoGP? Uh, Let us know your thoughts. Um, But we've got some other things to get through before our time is up. And uh, there's some testing taking place at the moment pete isn't there courtesy of top track and yamaha the man who sits second currently in world Superbikes um on the m1 private two day, two day test or this is the second of two days isn't it uh in jerez or jerez however you want to say it
0: that's right harry yes it's a, a private test so it's you know one of these behind closed doors no official lap times there are some other riders out on track as well i think i think fog is going to be out there who, who of course is a substitute rider this weekend and i think pedroza for ktm maybe maybe bradler as well for honda um, but yes i mean what would you say actually speak louder than words i guess isn't it as you say second test on a yamaha m1 now that clearly shows that there's intent shall we say from both sides here um that you know top rack is in, still interested in motor GP and yamaha are still interested in top rack and uh, i think Lynn Jarvis uh you know he's going to be there this time so he's uh, he's gonna go down there be present at this test again you know the top guy at yamaha motor racing before he flies out to Kota. so Yeah, this is, this really shows that, uh, you know, they are taking this seriously. And uh, because it's been a bit sort of mixed messages, isn't it, from Top Rack? It's been a bit kind of like, well, you know, maybe, maybe, but I'm happy in Superbike. And, you know, I I think this shows that that he is definitely still interested. And uh, and Yamaha, for sure, if you're putting on private tests, Cal's going to be there as well. The perfect mentor, of course, having made this same move before from Superbike to MotoGP. He's there again. I spoke to him at Aragon at the, the Grand Prix last year about Top Rack because the, they tested at Aragon previously. That was where they tested. And, uh, you know, Cal said, yeah, he was riding it like a super bike. And then he said, you would. I mean, it was his first time on, on a MotoGP. But he said he's a clever guy and he was learning every single run. He was getting quicker and quicker. And, and Cal did say it was quite amusing, but he didn't, Top Rack didn't like the engine braking. I said, well, the rear wheel's six foot in the air. So, uh, you know, uh, it won't work very well then, will it? But, uh, but yeah, so this is two days on track at Jerez. I think it's a track that the top rack likes and uh, there are other cheaper bikes on track. So yeah, I mean, it's a step closer, isn't it? Uh, we know that Morbidelli's contract is up. That is the only factory team seat that's available for next year. All the others are on two-year deals. Um, so clearly that's the one that's the ride he's looking for. Okay, there's talk about a satellite Yamaha team, but Keenan Sofoglu, top, top rack's manager, has made clear, isn't he? And uh, you believe Keenan when he speaks. He's not a guy who says something that he doesn't mean that if top rack goes, it's for a factory team. So um, you've got to believe that's what that's what they're looking at, that's what they're considering. And, uh, yeah, let's let's see what they decide.
1: Keenan Sofoglu, you banged it on the head there with that one because he's always been absolutely pro-factory. But uh, why is it I always get the feeling that Yamaha are behind the game? You know, always a little bit too little, too late with Yamaha, you know, I, I don't understand their thinking sometimes. I don't know whether it's a budget restriction, it's a boardroom restriction or whatever it might be. Lynn Jarvis, you know, he's been there for a long time. Talking about needing changes in management, maybe maybe there needed to be some changes done there previously to try and move things on a little bit. But Yamaha just seemed to have been a little bit behind the game for a long time now. Um, they they got lucky with Quattararo, perhaps, you know, Moto2 rider that came good in MotoGP to the shock of everybody, I think, even then, um, back in the day. But the way things are nowadays, you know, you, you've got to be proactive with that. You know, the, the, the cross the frame four cylinder motorcycle, that actually probably will suit top rack. I mean, that will be, you know, rather than having to change your style to suit some of the other V4s and the like, maybe, maybe that, you know, mid corner speed will be right up his alley riding as a world Superbike rider. But you're right in that you know, it feels like there's been a slight loss of interest. I think Toprak's having trouble as it is at the moment in the World Superbike, you know, frame. It's not working for him at this moment in time. Everybody's made a bit of a step, um, so suddenly you know, perhaps perhaps he's got a little frustrated, and that translates into the way you ride and translates into the performance that you're you're coming from. This stuff is all, it's almost like mythical. It's like it's frighteningly ghost-like in the way that people ride a motorcycle what makes that rider just that tiny weeny bit better than the guy next to him and, and top rack had that and i use the word had because right now it's not as evident as it was before in world Superbikes. so it'll be interesting to see how he gets on it'll be interesting to see how he manages the situation how keenan software glue as you say pete his management um will um advise him in in the circumstances and i would say that having Lynn Jarvis on site is as much to manage Keenan's soft Blue as it is to watch what Top Rack's doing. You know, I, I think that that's more likely is a, a sort of a meeting of the management minds, if you like, to try and see if they can get to some kind of a deal as much as it is for the guy riding the motorbike. Um, and that's going to be an interesting scenario as we move forward as well, whether those two clash heads and what you said, Pete is dead right. Keenan is not a bloke you mess around with. You know, he is headlong in like banging it straight away i mean you know people didn't like what he used to say you know uh, about top rack and keenan how many how many times was he a Super Sport world champion five i think it was wasn't it something like that four or five um so the guy knows what he's on about both on and off a motorbike so it'll be interesting to see where that comes and the and the turks have a have a fairly confident way of dealing as well you know like you've only got to look at the Onchu brothers as well the, you know these guys there's some fast men coming out of Turkey at the moment. We'll wait and see, but Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yamaha have got a a step to make. I know that, uh, you you know, the first few rounds of MotoGP traditionally never really give you the full picture of what we're going to get as we get to Europe. I mean, once we get to Jerez, Jerez, (laughs) Jerez, as some of the Italians call it, Jerez, (laughs) Jerez, Jerez. Um, yeah, everyone pronounces Jerez in a different way. Uh, but once we get there, that really is the the, the the turning point on the season for me. That's when we get a real indication about what's going to be happening. Once we get what we, I can't remember who said it now. It's the ground war, isn't it? It's when we get to the ground war. It's when mm-hmm. everything starts to really, you know, get stuck in. Um, yeah. And we're nearly there. Kota next. Well, be can oh, wait.
2: Kota next. Well, you say it. Let's look forward to it then, shall we? Um... Before we dive into uh, all things Kota and, and your little insider's guide, Keith, um we uh, there's some injury sort of updates, although we are Pete a little bit ahead of we're not quite sure at the time of recording what's going on and then again even when the press releases come out you never know what's actually gonna turn up on the on the on the weekend. But um Miguel Oliveira has obviously been out since uh, after the Portsmouth sprint. He is flying to Kota. Hopes to race, not confirmed. We don't know about Marquez yet. And crucially, that penalty too. Got there Bastigny hoping to be back in the frame. Paul Spargo a bit longer for sure. What what can you tell us at the moment?
0: Uh, as you said there, Harry, I think it, to, to put it briefly, Paul is definitely not going to be at Cota. Folger's going to be there in his place and the others will try and ride. But as you say, they will have to pass a medical on the Thursday. So,
1: you know, well, that's on the be... entry list. The entry um, list came out this morning. I saw it this morning. The only one that's okay. officially being replaced is polled by Um So, but the, that that medical, why do you, that's always a bit of a joke, isn't it? The medical thing. If you can lift a cup of tea or point in the right direction, then you pass. It's um, <laughs> It always strikes me as a slightly strange way of um, officially checking that these guys are okay,
2: but that's how it's set well so, you, you know what oh sorry Pete no go on
0: I was just going to say so the one unknown is as you say Harry that is the Marquez penalty we're still in limbo about that aren't we because is he going to have to serve it on Sunday or not you know we haven't had the verdict yet there was two well, sort of po- I think quality. that
1: they're being dead crafty with that Pete I think that they're going to going to see where his medical facility where, where his because they don't have to they don't have to do it here it doesn't have to be Cota if, if it's going to be if it's going to be a, a next round it could be the next round you know and they may not make a decision this this time around. They can move it to the to the following round if they want to. I mean, it's cynical. But they're still appealing it, right? Uh, yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, well, yeah. So it's gone to the MotoGP Court of Appeal, which I think the last time that happened was the case of the the famous spoon or tire cooler or swing arm spoiler, oh, and that, yes. that was about. It took about seventeen days, I think, to to issue a, you know, a verdict on that. Well, if that if that's repeated, this that will that'll be well after the Comte weekend. So. You know, if your reps are Honda on Sunday, what do you do, Sunday being the race? Do you follow the, 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 the penalty that you're appealing, which says you must serve it at your next race? Or do you or do you assume that, you know, you're going to win the penalty or not? I mean, what happens if Marquez does the double long lap and then the Court of appeal says, oh, no, you were right. He doesn't need to do that. I mean, <laughs> what do you do then? Well, there's no
1: undo in, button. In- in most judicial situations once you've got an appeal that holds everything else it's all held in abeyance isn't it it doesn't go any further at that particular point you know so it, it, while we're at appeal he doesn't have to serve a penalty um that's that's a normal legal process that i understand um, yeah i mean so... th- th-
0: that would make sense but i mean that was in the that was there was two parts of the reps honda appeal if you like one of them was to sort of say look you can't change the penalty and the second part was exactly sake as so they asked to suspend the penalty you know all of that got passed on to the Court of Appeal. So, I, I mean, I'm I, I'm I know nothing about anything legal, so I've no idea. But does that mean that, as you say, it, it's automatically on hold, or or does it mean that somebody has to officially sort of, you know, bang the hammer and say, you know, everything is suspended until we make a decision? I don't know. You know, will we get a decision? Yeah, that would make what? sense. That something comes out.
1: Do you know what's wrong with that, Pete? You're a great journalist in in the Mother GP paddock, and yet you don't know, and I don't know, and Harry doesn't know, and the public don't know. And that's what's wrong with this process. We should know. There should be a release from our headmasters that tells us exactly what the process is. And it's out there for everyone to see and it's transparent. And that's the bit that cheeses me off sometimes, where we don't, our rule book doesn't, it is a little bit too ambiguous in some respects and crying out for, for, for a definitive on this. And here we are, a few days away from the next Grand Prix, and we don't have a definitive on any of it, which is. Yeah, you know, unless I've missed something, which I, I hope I, mean, I, I mean, do not um,
0: Yeah, let's it. I don't think we even know the date that they will sit and see the case. I, I don't think that's been released, published, or
2: well. Well, to add to that, I mean, you talk about you know not even the, the fans not knowing. Sanjay is sitting, setting a question uh, it, regarding penalties and what when they are to be served. Like we saw in round one at Portimao, Jean-Mir received a long lap penalty and had to take it in the main race after the sprint. And Mark has a double long lap to be served at his next appearance. Which races is to be taken in the sprint or the feature length? Should penalties from the sprint be served in the next sprint and feature to feature respectively? It makes no sense. And also on the back of what you said about wins not counting in the stats, but the points counting and the pe- but the points counting, surely the penalties should have a bit more structure too. That's from Sanjay. Well, Sanjay
1: should be on the board, shouldn't he? Really, because he's bang on dead right. <laughs> I mean, how can you argue what he's just said? You can't. And that's my problem, is the clarity isn't there, and it should be there. I mean, you know, this is a you know, premier sport at the end of the day. These things shouldn't be left, you know, to sort out in appeal and so on and so forth. I mean, the fact that they worded it so bloody badly, how can you, you know, the penalty is for the next round, you know, when all they needed to put in brackets that he races at, <laughs> it was fairly simple, really. <laughs> and yet, you know, when when I'm doing... I'm not a contract... Well, I suppose I am a contract man if you think about it back in the day because we've all had contracts through through our racing careers and we've had to deal with contracts. So you do get a bit of a sixth sense for, for what's not written in one or what is written in one. But this is a professional sport with professional management, with professional rule makers and lawyers and legal systems. These gaps should never, ever have occurred. This this should never, ever have happened. And and I, it kind of... Throws us open to to hang on a minute. Are we a pro sport here or what? What you know? How did it get to this? It should never have got to this point. It should should never have even been an issue. He should have been you know if he's riding a Cota or if he's riding a hereth Whenever his next race is, that's when you serve the penalty. Regarding the whether it should be in the sprint race or whether it should be in the the main race. Of course, if he's if you know if he's copped the penalty, you know if he's allowed to, to take it in the sprint race. That basically halves his penalty, effectively, because points-wise, um, you know, it, it's a half-point situation. Now, that's only half a penalty for me. You know, a proper penalty is in the main race, and also in the main race, he has an opportunity because it's only it's double the distance to make good that that penalty. He has double the distance to make up that time that he's been penalised, which is calculated roughly at about three seconds per. Um, long lap penalty is about where they try and try and measure it. Um, so there's a lot of there's a lot of open book at the minute to try and work this through. And and I think Sanjay's question is bang on. Thank you very much for that.
0: Yeah, I uh, <laughs> I, I, I believe, to, and again, this is where we could do with it really written on every single statement, but that all penalties go into the main race. So and as you say, Keith, maybe that's the reason why, because if you start doing them in the sprint, it's half. The penalty etc etc uh, and then on the wording of the rule ex- exactly Keith I mean you think once the wording is there and it's signed off which is what happened on the Sunday at Portima wasn't it it said the penalty will be served in you know the the Argentinian actually named the Argentinian Grand Prix there it is to then try and change that two days later and, the, and also the fact that Honda have appealed this Japanese teams especially they don't appeal things by chance you know they appeal it if they. Think they've got a very very ninety percent plus chance. I'm just giving rough a rough idea, but you know what I mean. It's not something that you do. Oh well, let's just try our luck. It's because they believe that they they can win this case, and you know, let's see what happens. But there's a, most people I think do believe that they will win it because, as you say, Keith, it's there in black and white. And and how do you then two days later change something I, I, that was fixed? I, I
1: think Honda, are, you know, I don't think Honda should be slammed for this at all. They have been a little bit; they've been trolled terribly in the in the in the press and on on social media. Honda are only doing what is right to do. Yeah, you know, you're only a cheat if it's against the rules. You know, if the rules are there and, and and are so loose that that you can take advantage of them, that's what you do. And I hold my hand up to Honda. I think, yeah, good on you. You know, if you, if you see that that they've written the rules so badly. That you can get around them—that is their job. They would—I would hold them more responsible for being, you know, for not challenging this, um, rather than the fact they have. I know it doesn't go down well with the fans and all the rest of it, and you know the Marquez thing crops up straight away. Everybody having to go at Mark Marcos, but the fact is, if the rules are written so sloppily, and the and the and the sanction was written so sloppily, and there's a great big gap that you can drive a bus through, then drive it through you know, Honda should not be vilified for for basically showing up the rules to be, or the, the, the written part of this particular rule to be so poorly written. Um, and if they, I'll, I'll use the word, get away with it, well, that's not their fault. They're not just getting away with it. They are working to the letter of the law. It's like anything, it's a technical regulation. You know, how many times does Ducati come up with something that no one else has thought of, you know, and they drive their technical, you know, guru through whatever rule it was and they come up with something that they get away with again you know they're they're not vilified for that they're you know they're praised for their innovation well the same thing goes for something like this you know Honda have seen that 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 their lawyers have told them that they think there's a good case for being able to get away with it this is a world championship at the end of the day you know Mark Marquez with 42 races in an entire season could still win the world championship at the end of the year and this might make the difference so if you're Honda you're going to be fighting tooth and nail to make sure that happens and just on the getting away with it, Keith, I mean, to go, to go back
0: to you, you were quite right. Was it three seconds per long lap? So, you know, if Mark had done the penalties in Argentina, it would have cost him six seconds. Let's say half a dozen places. Who knows? Seven, eight points. But by missing the race, which he did, you know, he's, he's, he's lost out of potentially 37. Now, I'm not saying he would have won both. But the point being is he hasn't gone off scot-free here. The bit that we're all uncomfortable with. Is that Miguel Oliveira was also out injured, isn't it? That's what makes it a bit more difficult. Is that the guy that he took out has also had that suffered that same points loss. But if you just look at Mark's situation and go, okay, the penalty given would have resulted in seven or eight points lost, six seconds added to his time, as you rightfully say. He instead he missed the whole event and, and he threw away 37. You know, they, he has served a penalty in that sense, but it's just the fact that Oliveira, as the innocent party, has also served it, isn't it? So let's hope that these these wordings will be sorted out in future so that it is clear for everybody and that it's either you know it's one way or the other that's what we all want isn't it is is that clarity It's what the riders keep bringing up about these the, the punishments they get is they want consistency and clarity will it be the next race regardless of if, if you're injured or not or is it a specific event you know what it's, is the, it and the they need trouble you know, is with the next, to it.
1: The, the next race syndrome he could have turned up at argentina and done two laps and rode around the, the long lap penalty you know, at the end of the day, he, he, they, they, if if it had been that situation, he could have just turned up in Argentina and done a couple of laps through the long lap penalty, and that's the penalty served with with broken wrist. That is assuming he would passed. There
2: would have been uproar at that, surely. Well,
1: that's assuming, of course, he passed the um, fitness test,
2: oh.
1: which that, that is just which just actually probably your... means writing his own name. But anyway.
0: <laughs> Signing the full disclaimer, yeah. Yeah. I'll be just fine on this. <laughs> there was an interesting point by the former FIM president, Ippolito, I- I- who uh, was a predecessor. And he sort of, on Twitter, I think he was, and he made the point that these kind of penalties, the long long laps and things like that, that they're great if you can serve them in the race where the punishment occurs. You know, then then it's, okay, you know, you've done something wrong, you get a penalty, you serve it in that race and it's done and dusted. But they don't really work when you start carrying them over, as we're seeing now. And this oh. is where... Things get a bit more murky, and I think he had, he had quite, a, quite a sort of relevant point there. It's something that we have thought about. Maybe if you don't serve the punishment in the race, maybe we need a different kind of punishment, not this sort of double long laps, for the reasons that, that Keith has just outlined. There's potential ways
2: around it. Why don't we see? Grid penalties, or do we? And I've just blanked it, or we, we, we do, do sometimes,
0: yeah, for things like yellow flags in practice or, or something like well, that. Could
2: if... that not be a you know, Mark has to start from the back or start from the pit lane?
1: Well, we, we've had that before, and they, you know, you have ride throughs, they've, they've, they've actually calibrated it quite well. Now, a long lap really the alternative to that in the old days was you had a, a ride through penalty, um, which was like ruined your race, it was like 35 Can't seconds, 40 on. seconds to go through, so. You know, mm. Whereas a long lap penalty takes three seconds off and it penalizes you accordingly. Um, so I, I think that there are still those increments, if you like. But again, even with you know talking of Argentina, um, you know Jack Miller, a whole grid in front of the entire field <laughs> from from a penalty from before, and you know even with that, he still couldn't win the race. So it was. It's kind of like grid penalties for the likes of Mark Marquez a, a you know, meat and veg, aren't they, for
2: Marmar, because he loves um, yeah. cutting his way through. Well, I mean, we can talk about penalties to the cows come home. Yeah. Why don't we talk about some of the actual on-track action and what we can expect for this weekend, Keith? A return to Cota. Um, We like this track. I mean, historically bumpy, but I think they sort of sorted that out, haven't they, in the last couple of years? Well,
1: the trouble is they've built it on a bog and, it, and the track keeps moving. Um, if you remember back in the day, there, there was all sorts of contractual problems when they were building this place um, back in the day, and so there's a bit of movement. They've bladed it, they cut it. They, you know, when they bladed it last time, they they'd left all the dust and dirt on it, and shot blasted million pound motorbikes to bits at the front end, and it, then it was bumpy in places, which it still is. Um, you know, my more the worst for me, it, you know, it's bad enough down the, the main straight, but the worst bumps for me, I like turn three. You come off the top of that hill and come down under the bridge, and there's a dirty great big. Yeah, almost a ramp in the middle of the road. Hopefully they got rid of that. Um it's it's a very interesting I like going to Kota. I mean, Austin is a great city to start with. Um so you are down the road from a very, very vibrant environment. Um Sixth Street through the middle of, of uh, Austin is is a, a sort of a headline kind of a place if you like. Loads of bars, loads of clubs, loads of music going on. And then if you want to pull it back to the slightly more backpackerish ish type um, place to, to to pop out to. You've got Rainy Street, which again is a, a long street with sort of in people's front gardens. You've got lots of bars and stuff like that outside various bungalows and so on and so forth, which is quite a cool place to be. Lots of street food and stuff like that. You can walk all over the uh, Austin and, and find somewhere to go. Um, but of course, you're only one block, if you like, in American terms, away from the reality of America for me, which is homelessness and people that are on their uppers, which is I, I just find that the the, the dis, you know, the the juncture between those two things, you've got six street everybody with money blasting away, chucking their neck necking the beers, drinking the eating the steaks, and one street away from that are a thousand homeless people scrabbling around for a dollar. Welcome to America. Um, Back to the track, fantastic racetrack to go and view at. lot of atmosphere there. Again, they put on the odd band as well, in that centre where that massive tower is. Um, Paddock is huge. You can wear yourself out walking around there. Um, Lots of sort of connecting buses and the electric this, that, and the others to give you a lift if you're feeling a bit lazy or you've got lots of luggage to lump around with. Um, I like the place. It's It's a completely different, unique environment compared with anywhere else which is the, the great thing about Mojp effectively because just about everywhere you go track wise it is unique to another one um but it is the all-american thing it is the all-american dream it's quite a long way out of austin by the way it's not not walking distance to the racetrack let's put it that way um it's not a like Mans or somewhere like that where you can walk down into the into the town um so you've, you've got to have a vehicle you've got to be able to get to there but you know masses of parking area masses of ways in usually well staffed although they did dip a few years ago when um when i think they were running low on money and they didn't really staff the place as well as they should have done so parking and so on was a, was a bit more of a a bun fight to, to get out um but generally really well run great atmosphere not as many people as perhaps you would expect to be there which is a good thing for some people because you can just wander anywhere and big banking to, to watch what's going on but from a track perspective bumpy dusty um you yeah, you've got, what, five bottom gear corners, which is, you know, typical Formula One type situation. Um, not everybody's cup of tea, but having, having said that there are very physical racetrack from a rider point of view, you've got a lot of changes of direction at quite high speed in some places, which, which means that you've got a lot of physical work to, to make the bike go through that, uh, massive snake from the, the top of turn one, all the way down to what, getting towards turn 11, the, the next hairpin, um a lot of work to be done through there. So from a MotoGP bike, you're working very, very hard indeed, but great to watch it. I enjoy this one. I, th- I think it's a, it's a good one. The atmosphere there is, is fantastic.
2: I can't wait for it. I love a bit of racing around Kota. Now, the crucial question, though, uh, or questions, predictions, <laughs> I should say. What are we going for? Top three, please, for Sprint and the Grand Prix, of course. Uh, Peter McLaren, I'm going to come to you first. I would like your top three placings for the sprint. For the please. sprint, I,
0: I just think Marquez. You know, he's won seven times there. He's coming back. All this controversy, the injury. It just wouldn't surprise me if he's if he's there again, especially for for a sprint. So, if, even yeah. if the bike's not holding holding on, working perfectly, he'll just make it work somehow. So, Marquez. I'll go Bicek second because he's just on that form. And uh, Jack Miller. I'll go for third for the same reason. He can wrestle that KTM around and. Uh, and get it to the flag for the sprint.
2: Okay. I've gone for uh, Jorge Martin to take the P1 spots, Banyaya in second, and I've also gone for Miller uh, for third in the sprint. So that's my three. Mr. Hewitt? Mate. Tricky. Sprint. Tricky, tricky,
1: tricky. I'm going to go Mazzeki Marquez Binder, sprint.
2: Bzecki, Mark Marquez. Yes. Got, got to clarify now. You have. Mark, will this Marquez. be the weekend that we get and, a wait, double Marquez, the Marquez the on bin. the podium? Will this be the weekend? Could that? Well, clearly not in the sprint. No. Because <laughs> you haven't predicted that. No, well, no I'm not Go predicted. Three then. I'm
1: just saying, will, will it generally be a, a double Marquez <laughs> podium somewhere on the line? Okay, on the on the main race, I yeah. Zeki
2: vinales Okay. Bezeki Vinales in third. Pete?
0: Marquez
2: Banyaya Bezeki. Okay. Marquez Banyaya Bezeki. Thank you. And I have gone for <laughs> really rogue. Well, not really rogue. I don't know. Marini Bezeki Martin as my top three. So the thing is, you can't, you actually cannot predict. You, can. you can't. No. Nah. You really can't. And I wouldn't be surprised if all three of us picked up a few points across our podiums. Well, a, I think it's a further um, from each other. It probably is. But I feel like I didn't score any points last time and I put the big hitters. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's a flip of a coin. Let us know who you're going for in the comments below. We'd love to see them. Um, who's your top three? Sprint and Grand Prix. Uh, and we'll come back this time next week and uh, exchange notes, shall we? Um Thank you very much. In the meantime, we're done for this week's show. Kota is up next. MotoGP returns to America. And then we shall be back same time next week. to look back at it all. In the meantime, make sure you tuned in across Crash.net for all the latest news and analysis across the week. Get your questions in, in the comments, as I say. Tweet, Instagram, Facebook us. Just search Crash CrashMotoGP or our email is podcast at Crash.net. And please do make sure you leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts, particularly on Apple and Spotify. And we shall see you right back here next week. Keith Ewan, thank you. Pete McLaren, thank you. I've been Harry Benjamin, thanking me. Bye-bye.